Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected, and I'm Julie Crawl. Hey, do these words sound familiar? I am, I can, I will. I remember raising my kids with a very six words, really, really important. And now this is the can-do attitude of millennials. Millennial women are unlike any generation of women we've seen in the past 100 years. They're different, they're baffling, and they're movers in the marketplace. This specialized demographic is almost 40 million strong and a financial powerhouse with the influence that grows by the day. Our guest today says it's critically important to connect with the millennial women and this generation for many, many reasons. And she's going to tell us why. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest, Anne Fishman was awarded four U.S. Senate Research Fellowships to study generational trends and taught generational marketing at New York University. She's president of Generational Targeted Marketing, LLC, a specialized marketing firm providing insights into the preferences, trends, and buying habits of each of America's six generations. And she's the author of the new book, Marketing to the Millennial Woman, and it is a treasure. Welcome, Anne. Oh, thank you, Dr. Julie. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your audience today. Um, I'm very happy to share the information that I have about millennials with all of you. Mm, Thank you. You know, it is an important important topic and we're going to get into that more in a minute and I I just love this book I'm going to keep talking about it I know for for months and months to come with everyone on the street I just keep giving it to people (laughs) so thank you for that but we have a traditional question here on the Dr. Julie show that we like to start with to kind of set our conversation into a larger meme so I'm going to start with this Anne what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected, uh, Dr. Julie, mean to me that we understand one another. I once had a cab cab ride in New York, I'm sorry, in Washington, where you share cabs with other people, and a, a rocket scientist got in the cab with me, and I said, well, this is a dream come true, and he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm in communications, and he said, what you do is more important than what I do. And I said, why? And he said, we have so much good information out there. It's getting people to understand each other and to absorb the information. So for me, all things connected means understanding and respecting other people's differences. And that's the way we connect one to the other, to me. Mm, nice. Well, you know, I, I myself think connecting with this new generation is important, but in doing that, I think we need to understand. I just had a conversation with someone I share the office space with and had your book right here, and 
she was talking about her husband's office space and how the different generations just don't understand each other. So this is important in this connection of, of how do we really understand each other, connect, communicate, trust, and respect. And these trust and respect pieces are really important. So let's start our conversation off with who are the millennials? And maybe we need to set that into a larger context of we have baby boomers, Generation X, and now these Generation Y, and these new ones we don't even know what to call. So give us a little background on your work because you've been studying generational um, segments for so many years here. I have, and uh, today in America there are six living generations. We have three in the workforce for the most part, and Uh, therein lies the problem sometimes in the workforce, is that each of these generations, each of these six generations, has different values, attitudes, and lifestyles. If you understand them, you can work with the strengths, you can overcome the challenges, you can make it all work. If you just think they're not a younger version than I am, or they're not an older version than I am, then you're never going to be able to pull and harness together the way you need to. Millennials are critical to America and to its workforce because there's so many of them. When you said 40 million, that's 40 million millennial women because that's uh, the number, that's what I wrote the book about, marketing to the millennial woman. But if you take millennial men and women, Dr. Julie, there are 80, almost 80 million. And that's, to put that into perspective, that's more than there are British people, more than there are French people or Spaniards, or Italians. So you can see why a tremendous generation like this, they were born between 1982 and the year 2000. That makes their ages today 15 to 33. So I think the sheer number of them that surround you makes that really an important generation to understand. And were you, when you say 80 million, is that just in the U.S.? No, I only deal with American generations. So when I say 80, almost 80 million, I mean 80 million in the United States, one-fourth of our population. Wow. Wow. So, so if you don't, working- you, you hear the word tossed around, but if you don't, if you understand what makes them tick, it really is going to make your life from your home life to your work life to the changes you want to make in society. It makes everything easier because you understand uh, more, much more about these people. Hmm. Okay, so in the workplace right now, do we ha- we have baby boomers, Generation X, and the millennials? Yes, uh, for the most part, you have a the what I call Generation Nine Eleven, which would be born from two thousand and one to some date in the future. They're too young to be in the workforce, but they do affect the working habits of their parents and their grandparents. The Silent Generation and the GI Generation is easing out of the workforce. So primarily, I'm addressing baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials, sometimes called Gen Ys, when I talk about workforce issues. And one of the things that I I like to clear up right off the bat is I'm not trying to tell people that everyone in a generation is alike, uh, but people who uh, live through major historic moments are marked by those events. So the historic moments that happen to a generation in its formative years really do make a difference. For example, people whose formative years were during the Great Depression 
are certainly not all alike, but they probably tend to be thrifty. Uh, the generation whose formative years were during the Vietnam War and the Nixon era tend to question authority. So it is with every generation. And that's why it's really important to understand history when it's happening. We don't have to wait 20 years. If you understand what history is driving today, it simplifies a rather complicated world. Yes, and you do that so Brilliantly. This is one of the things I really appreciated about your book, Marketing to the Millennial Woman. You're talking about really big, huge global events, and you can see how it does trickle down. One of the things that you mentioned was the women and having Princess Diana and Mother Teresa both pass during their formative years. You want to speak about that? Yes, I do, because um, as I said, history drives. It's almost like a mathematical equation. History drives generational characteristics. Generational characteristics drive values, attitudes, and lifestyles. So with these young millennial women who are almost 40 million in number, uh, you would think it would be the Kardashians or Britney Spears, but it wasn't. It was their role models uh, were really, uh, for the oldest millennials, were Princess Diana and Mother Teresa, Both of these women died in 1997, two very different women who devoted their lives to helping people in need around the world. The media coverage of of them after their deaths focused on their good deeds, and millennials want to do the same thing. So I always say, don't look for the obvious. Look for who really has has put a mark on them. And um, from the oldest millennial to the youngest millennial, Uh, In July of 2005, there was a worldwide concert called Live 8, and Live 8 was about helping people in poverty around the world, uh, particularly in Africa. It was broadcast on television and on the Internet, and so from the youngest millennial to the oldest millennial, it's like a drumbeat, help others, help others, help others, to the point that they began volunteer activities in preschool, and it, it... never stopped. Uh, This is the first generation that, for the most part, has to put their volunteer activities on their college applications. And many schools, for example, Tulane University, uh, requires a major volunteer activity each year from every student at Tulane. So helping others is simply part of their DNA. Mm. I like the quote that you had in the book about... um the valuing the good of the group over the individual, which is a shift from the generations before. Yes. So, uh, yeah. We have had three generations in a row. Uh, let's take the generations of the workforce. Baby boomers who focused on themselves. Uh, in fact, their nickname is the me generation. And the reason, there's a historic reason for that. These were the children born after the soldiers returned from World War II. And there were so many of them, of them, almost 78 million, that basically the waves parted. We built new schools for them. We built new college dormitories for them. Marketing focused on them. So they had mostly stay-at-home mothers who focused intently on their children's upbringing, and they had to focus on themselves in order to compete with all the other baby boomers out there. So they are the first generation in American history who focuses on the individual rather than the good of the group. 
Then you get Generation X. Generation X was born between 1961 and 1981. That makes their ages today 34 to 54. They had to focus on the individual, but for a very different reason. These are latchkey children, children of divorce, children who, with both parents working, children whose basic societal support system, meaning family, religion, government programs, were very weak. So in order to survive, they had to focus on themselves. Here come millennials, and millennials now are into thinking of the good of the group. They were team taught. They were team graded. They were given trophies for participating in team sports. A lot of people think that's a bad thing, but in a bigger context, it's not so bad because uh, they think of the good of the group over the need of the individual. And so when you have a group that thinks, when you have a, a generation this large that focuses on helping others, that focuses on the group, what is the group, uh, what's good for the group, uh, you can see why I say this is a generation that will help bring a divided America back together again. Yes, I love that quote as well. Thinking about the potential, um, not only just reaching these people through the marketplace, but really fostering and facilitating them connecting in greater ways for the good of the whole. It's really exciting when you think about the potential here. Well, every time you get irritated by a millennial texting or head down looking at the device, realize that they're reaching out to someone and they are sharing every experience they have with someone else who's sharing every other experience and with people they don't even know. So connection is their middle name so that they are constantly connecting with other people. In fact, they are globally connected. Uh, Even the shows that they watch like The Bachelor, Bachelorette, Amazing Race, Survivor, these are all shown uh, placed in, in countries around the world. So they feel connected to the globe. Uh, They can text someone in a different country. They can email people. They can visit chat rooms where they have no idea what country you're in. And so they are connecting the world together. And they're connecting with their BFFs. Uh, They are connecting with uh, their society in general. Uh, They're really trying to make connections all over the place. So don't let that constant... Uh, digital communication bother you too much. It has a, a bigger purpose purpose to it. Okay, yeah, and all of these pieces have great strengths, and you're right, it does annoy people. It's like in the workplace, they're like on their phones or at a meal or in a restaurant, but I'm noticing now, so are Generation X and so are the baby boomers. Go into any restaurant and you'll see a Gen X and a baby boomer on a device at a table, I guarantee it. So, so this can be a strength. And, and I know you talk about some of the things we have to work on, you know, some of those social skills and connection, but, but let's talk about really how do we connect with them to build the relationship? How do the other generations really connect with millennials? What, what are some of your advice? Well, one of the things I say is don't try to be like them because uh, nothing turns them off than a non-millennial trying to be like a millennial. Uh, it, it's just not what young people are about. So you need to under- they do expect you to understand what they're going through. 
that they're having a hard time getting jobs, that they're having a hard time paying off college debts. They do expect you to understand their lives. Uh, so this is, uh, it's not like, let me explain it to you. They just come with a God-given right, you need to understand me. Um, the other thing that we can do is not over-talk and not overwrite. Because if you think about how they communicate through Twitter uh, and through things like that, 140 characters, uh, you have to talk short and write shorter because they are really into very short things. Hemingway is making a comeback because he writes in short sentences. I mean, this stuff goes all over the place. It constantly amazes me because... The, they are changing the English language. A language is a growing thing. So you need to write short. You need to speak short. You need to not over-talk. You need to make sure that your website is very, it's what I call a clean website. Lots of white space, very little uh, copy. Your links have to be make sense to them. And so there are many ways to communicate you don't have to let them use their digital devices at the dining room table if that's your rule. But you do have to understand that this is the first American generation that's grown up in a digital world. This to them is normal. It is not something that they're doing to irritate you. It's just the world in which they were raised. Yeah, and you know, this is an important piece to just pause here as well for our listeners to really hear this because I think it's really important and you talk about this in the book. This is the first generation of consumers who grew up in a digital world and that has changed things. Well, it's defining normal to them. This seems like normal and this is the way they define normal. Uh, What it does make them do, which can also be irritating to other generations they're losing some of their social skills because they are so digital. They don't hear verbal cues. They don't read facial expressions sometimes. They don't understand body language sometimes. They seem a little blanked out, and you have to understand that this is a skill that if you need it in your business, you can teach it to them. But don't criticize them for it. Realize that it comes because they are used to texting, texting, tweeting, posting, and emailing. Um, I, it was really funny. I just gave a speech, and, and a boss got up, and he said, they expect me to make the telephone calls. They keep saying, can't you talk on the telephone, and we'll do the texting, tweeting, and everything else? And it's because they're not, that to them is not their form of communication. They are much used to doing all of these things by text or by tweets or whatever. So it's not that they're being rude. It's just that this is the world that they are used to. Mm. Well, the, the the thing about this new world that they're used to is is it also has an influence on almost every industry. I mean, my husband looking at, do we sell insurance via Facebook and text messages? Because some of the younger agents are doing it that way. Healthcare, we just had a... Um, clinic locally that will see patients via Skype. And so this technology is really changing almost everything. We know it's changing education, but it really is 
changing everything. And these are the people with the potential. This, this generation has the potential with this mastery to really make a huge difference. That's why I always say you, wanna, you want to have used the strengths of a generation and understand the weaknesses of a generation um, because they can really help you out a lot with, with which form of communication should is this product best served on, meaning insurance. What is my best way to communicate with a Gen Xer or a millennial uh, if they want to report an insurance claim or if I want to sell them insurance. Uh, so it's really critical that you understand this part of their world. Of all the things that divide America today, I think the digital divide is the greatest because everything else, it's, it's like the digital haves and the digital have-nots. You don't have to understand it but you have to appreciate the fact that we are moving into a brand new way of communicating. And therefore, if you want your message heard, they're not going to adapt to you. You have to, if you can't adapt to them, you have to have someone around you who can adapt to them. So this is the fact that we have people that don't know how to text, don't know how to email, can't figure out what is the best social, what's the best uh, blog, blog that I should have my product on, you know, what is the best way for me to get my, I don't care if you're raising money for your charity, getting out the vote, trying to train your coworkers, or understanding your family. You have to understand the way they communicate. Uh, one of the things that I just loved, there's a university called Susquehanna University that's in Sellings Grove, Pennsylvania, and uh, this generation loves to have its opinion asked. They are used to being asked about things by corporations, by television, which, which of these singers do you want to keep in? They are used to having their opinions asked by their friends, so they love it when you ask for their advice. And uh, at this particular university, he has dinner with every student one time during their college uh, year, during their college stay. And he invites them to dinner with three questions that he wants them to answer. Why they chose Susquehanna, what they enjoyed the most, and what they would change if they were president. So outreaches like this show millennials that their opinions matter. They really crave constant interaction. They can be your best friend, meaning a good interaction. I'm 100 people minimum will know about it within 10 minutes. A bad interaction probably 200 people will know about it within 10 minutes. So you have to understand how critical it is. Every interaction with a millennial is really important because, uh, because they tell so many people. I call them the tell-all generation. They live in a water cooler world where there is nothing that is sacred. And if I had to give one piece of advice to, I guess, to businesses, is that from day one, this generation has to be trained in discretion and the concept of pri- privacy. Now, that's always important with young people because they don't quite understand the way the real world works, but it's the worst with this generation because of digital devices and social media. So from day one, as an employer or as a nonprofit or whatever you do, you have to begin to teach them what is appropriate to be kept in-house what is appropriate to be kept private, uh, because for them, 
telling all is a way of life. And they don't quite get it that there is a difference, that there is a, such a thing as discretion. Hmm. So, Anne, do you see that the teaching of these skills, teaching the discretion, teaching what's appropriate in the workplace, the generation responds? Do the millennials respond to that training? Are you noticing that in the workplace? Yes. And the reason they respond, again, everything is about knowing millennials and how what motivates them. Just like if I wanted to motivate baby boomers, I'd have to get to know them like I did a best friend. So. What motivates millennials is, as I said before, their desire to help other people, but they have another strong generational characteristic, which is they want to move to the top and quickly, almost unrealistically quickly. They want to be at the top of anything they do, So, and they want, would like to be there in about two weeks. So when things are presented to them, and you never manipulate a generation, you use your strength matched with their sincere need. So if you want to help teach millennials, the way that that generally one goes about it is by saying this will help you move ahead. Uh, You try to be sincere. You try to be, um, you never manipulate. They see that in a second. But they do have a desire to be at the top of the game very quickly. So one of the ways to gently present it is, um, you know, um, this is the way you can move forward fast not only in our company, but outside and with important clients and out in the real world and with with people from other countries. And so if you present it to them as this is the way to get ahead, then that's really something that's going to motivate them quite a bit because Mm -hmm. they do want to move ahead in order to have good lives for themselves with enough energy left over to help other people. Beautiful, beautiful. That's a nice place to take a break. I want to... um talk so much more about building this relationship and what makes them unique after the break. But first, I want to give our listeners an opportunity to find you. And do you want to let them know about your website? How can they get a hold of you? Yes. Uh, my website is very simply called annfishman.com. And so you can reach me at annfishman.com. It's A-N-N-F-I-S-H-M-A-N.com. And, um, you know, uh, I, there I present six different generations. So it can really be a help to get this. And as I said, there's so many things out there that confuse us. And if you understand what's driving different generations, uh, America is not as confusing. For example, Mm -hmm. the turmoil that we find ourselves in now, I won't go into it deeply because you're taking a break, but most of it is, is generationally driven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will talk more about that after the break. And I want to just remind you all, we're talking to Ann Fishman, Marketing to the Millennial Women. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs, ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. 
Yes. That one. The free to be me, you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place. Come to the forest where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, parents, do kids think you're out of touch because of the way you dress? Yes. yes. Well, say hello to instant style with Fashion On. Just spray Fashion On on whatever you're wearing and look cool in an instant. Turn orthopedic shoes into vintage high tops. Pleated khakis into skinny jeans. Even clip-on ties become fly gold chains. Just spray, let it dry, and presto. What about my fanny pack? You mean your hip MP3 player? Wow. What about my bifocals? You mean your hot pink shutter shades. Hey, I can't see. But your kids can see you, and trust me, they see fashion. Thanks, Fashion Fashion On. Fashion On is not available in stores because it doesn't exist. But that's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Because kids in foster care don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, go to adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health problems? Share your story. Four years ago, I went through something that was very difficult for me. I was faced with a very big challenge at a young age. I didn't want to tell my parents. I, I really didn't want to tell anybody, and I didn't. I shut down. And that's not a burden that any young person should have to carry at all. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. This is Terry Williams, co-founder of the Stay Strong Foundation. It's time for us to wake up, stand up, and speak up. Together we can do this. Search online for stories that heal. We must share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. We're back on the Dr. Julie Show, and today our guest is Ann Fishman. We're talking about marketing to the millennial woman, and we're just talking about the millennials in general. If you enjoy what you're listening to and want to refer a friend, please visit our website. It's thedrjulieshow.com. You can find the archive for this show and also the all the different people coming on the show in the future. We have some really, really incredible guests coming on this fall and winter. So please join us and um, visit our website, thedrjulieshow.com. And stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. And so we've been talking about these millennials and all these connections. And Anne is hooked in with Twitter. They have a really lively Twitter campaign. I love I love how you're connected, Anne. But I want to bring this conversation. I just want to follow up with one thing before we sure. um, move deeper into this, Anne. We were talking about connecting how do we connect with the millennials and and literally um, as a psychologist I've worked with families and parents on how to connect with their kids really using this technology you know text them let them know you're there connect with them do those things behind the the scenes through technology sometimes but you know we're missing that interaction that human connection that eye-to-eye contact that that thing how do we 
build a relationship with these millennials and really maintain it? How do we maintain this relationship? Well, I want you to think about the lovely public service announcement that came on during the break. It was, tell your, tell your sister, tell your mother if you have a problem. Tell other people if you have a problem. Uh, a lot of, this generation gets a lot of support in communi- please communicate with other people. It's their choice whether they feel comfortable talking to you face-to-face or whether they feel talking to you texting. One uh, manners rule is you never text without permission, meaning that sometimes we think they don't have the manners that we have. They have different manners, meaning that uh, you, don't, you, don't, um, you don't communicate with them without asking them if, if it's okay to communicate with them in a certain way. And, so, and also, if they text you or do something like that, there's a quick turnaround time here meaning that you have to be checking that constantly. It used to be within two days. Then it was within one day. Now I get fussed at if I'm not returning text and different emails and things like that within a half hour. So you have to understand that, that if anything, they're, they're, they expect communication with you at a rapid pace, and they can handle it. I'm not sure that we can. I call them grasshopper-minded. Uh, because I want you to envision how they grew up. Just imagine one of them talking on the speakerphone with television or streaming video in the background, surfing the Internet, downloading music, waiting for an Internet message to pop up. They are used to doing all of that at the same time. We are necessarily not used to doing all of that at the same time. So what's puzzling for me seems very normal to them, this grasshopper-mindedness makes them wonderful multitaskers, but it hurts them a little bit when it comes to a very long project. If I were jumping this over to business communications and how to connect, I would say if you have a long task for a millennial to do, break it up into short pieces because their way to communicate is to go from thing to thing to thing. Um, They're not used to having long, drawn-out projects. Their world is full of very short interactions. And for that reason, as I said, they expect you to be able to communicate in their language, and then eventually they'll be more patient with our occasionally long, drawn-out lectures or long letters. Uh, You know, it's just a different style, and we have to respect our style, and hopefully by respecting... I mean, their style, and then hopefully they will respect our style of needing to talk more. But what can be said in 140 characters is about as much as they really want. So uh, keep it short, uh, keep it sincere, and understand that they really do want to talk, just not our way, not the way mm-hmm. of the other five generations. Yeah, there's such such wisdom right there. I know they feel connected even in that 140 words. You know, they feel they connection they, and we don't feel it that same way. We're feeling, uh, we're grasping. I think Generation X and Boomers grasp at them like, I'm losing you. But really, they feel connected. They experience life connected with you in well, this different way. Well, I even way. sent my... Gen X son, a text the other day that said, would you call me? I really need to talk to you. 
and he's a very polite person, and he texted back, are you sure you can't put this in a text? And I thought, you know, it's just their way of communicating, and that I could talk for a half hour, but he really needs it in a text to keep on going. So this is something that you just have to understand that this is their world. This is the way they grew up. This is the way they communicate. I respect their needs. They respect my needs. Um, One of the things that I do want to point out to the listeners is that the women are, the reason I wrote this book is because the women are making different, more changes in this generation than the men are. And one of the uh, two major changes that they're making is that they are, women are now really seeking out careers in math, science, and technology. And formerly, that was the arena of men. And there are three reasons why they are so interested in math, science, and technology. The first one is the government is promoting it. And they are promoting it because we have to remain competitive globally, and we, we need it to fill critical cybersecurity jobs. Uh, as much as we would love to have more art and more music in the schools, as somebody once said to me, you cannot throw watercolors at terrorists. So basically, the government is promoting math, science, and technology. Another reason is that television shows are popularizing women in these fields. If you watch NCIS, you will see their crack scientists and tech wizards, many of whom are women. CSI has inspired CSI scientific activities at children's summer camps. And someone was telling me about a university, I believe in Kentucky, where you go to learn CSI, FBI, all these kind of technology things. So the third reason why they are so into science, technology, and math is that today's rock stars are tech entrepreneurs. And so we don't hold up the rock stars as much as we hold up Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Britney Spears pales in comparison. So who are their role models now? They're getting role models if you want to succeed, become a techie. So that's one change for the women in that you're getting a lot of... It doesn't take a gender to create something new. And for that reason, the men and women are equal on this. Um, So that's one difference. Another difference I noticed with the women is that they they strive to be physically stronger. If you think about how they grew up, they grew up with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who is sexy, savvy, and physically strong, helping to stamp out evil uh, and promote good. They grew up with Katniss Everdeen, Uh, in the Hunger Games, who is willing to put her life on the line for the good of others. They, uh, all of these things are promoting a new image of the American woman, which is the American woman as a strong, physically strong woman. Look at what we just won, the world, we are the world champion uh, female soccer team. I mean, these women don't just spectate, they participate. So if you don't understand that this is, the new American woman, you kind of miss the mark in your communications. It all goes back to, if I understand you, then I understand your communicate, then I can communicate with you a bit better. But their role models are, you know, uh, their role models are very physically strong women, and they strive to be very physically strong women. We just graduated two Army Rangers, and I think the Navy SEALs is opening up its 
program to qualified women. So there's a real shift here in how we see the American woman. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, just listening to you, you also make a point that a lot of these young women, these millennials have been raised by feminists and the message I can, I am, I will, that can do attitude of, you know, I can do it just as well and I can do anything I want to do um, is really strong. And, and here we have these confident women, strong, bursting with lots of ideas and, and they're just ready. They're ready to step up and do their part. So here's the question, Dr. Julie. Because they are living the feminist dream, which is to have choices, they have choices. Do they want to be in the military? Many of them are the primary breadwinners. Many of them choose to be stay-at-home moms. You're going to hear a lot in the upcoming elections about security moms, women that choose to stay at home because they feel like they can best protect and educate their children. Uh, You have women who are choosing to raise dogs and cats over children. These women have choices across the board. Because they are living the feminist movement, does that mean that they have the needs? Has the feminist movement succeeded to the point that they don't see, let us take the presidential election, do they see a need to elect the first woman president or do they see a need to elect a candidate who meets their own particular needs or the needs of the group? So there are a lot of questions that come into play here that if you understand the changes that they have made, they have choices. They don't have to fight for them. They are being presented to them. So uh, consequently, they don't have to fight for the dream. They are living the dream. Mm. So, Anne, this, I'm going to pose a question back at you because I'm really sure. curious, and it, it might not be fair to bring this into this conversation, but with these women who are living this, um, and you brought up politics, and I think this is an imp- important piece. Is, is it the, the, that we need a female leader, or is it the a platform that meets our needs and what's good of the whole? So are these millennials leading with a balance of masculine and feminine, or are they just getting in there and competing like the men? And I see where I'm going with this, with the the feminine versus the masculine traits. Are these millennials really balanced in that? I don't see, with this particular generation, I notice that a lot of stores are coming out with unisex clothing. That doesn't mean that the guys look feminine or that the women look masculine. Uh, I'm not so sure that they see the differences that the rest of us do. It is not unusual for your boss to be a woman. It is not unusual for your boss to be a man. It is the things that that created certain differences. I'm not so sure that they exist in the minds of these young women, meaning that having a woman boss is nothing unusual anymore. Um, you know, they look around, they see they see the way things are. Uh, they they're very accepting of other cultures, other lifestyles. Uh, I'm not so sure that. Um, I'm not I'm going to be watching this election very carefully because are they going to vote for gender on either from either party you've got a woman who's a strong leader in both in both the parties or are they going to vote what they consider to be best for their lives best for the good of the group again this generation thinks in group meaning that um 
they really are into team thinking. So you really need to not take this for granted. Oh, they will vote for Carly or they will vote for Hillary because they're women. You have to take into consideration, do they take that for granted? We've seen Angela Merkel in Germany. You've seen women leaders around the world. Uh, I'm not so sure they vote because of gender. I am really looking very hard to see how that vote goes, and they will vote. The interesting thing to me is where normally young people are very hard to pull out to vote. This generation wants the voting age lowered to 17 because they see this as having a voice in their future. They're not particularly happy with the world we have handed to them, and they want to begin to have a voice in their future. And we just selected in New York State uh, Elise Stefanik, who is 30 years old. She's the uh, representative from the New York's 21st District and the youngest woman ever to serve in Congress. Uh, they just have an empowerment mindset. Um, could it have just as easily been a man? Yes. But it was a woman who decided to do it. So does it really... So what I'm looking at, I'm watching this race very closely because uh, this is a generation that is really a bit tired of public schools not being as good, having to, turn to home, having to turn to homeschooling, having to fight for charter schools, having to not be clear about their job future. This is a generation that wants to have a, a, a seat at the table. And for that reason, I think it is going to be critical to them. Is being critical, does that mean voting your gender? Or does that mean voting your issues? And so that's what I keep my eye out, my eye on. Mm, fascinating. That will that will be fascinating to watch. I I really love how you do such a great job, Anne, of helping us as listeners and readers to really see the bigger picture in all of these movements. And and I really appreciate that. Well, I think I think the world. We are a very resilient people, Americans are. But right now, we're, having a, we, we're not fragile, but with the media going 24-7, and we know everything bad that's going on around the world, we know everything that's happening in America, there's a security that we don't feel, uh, particularly our young people, and that they're not sure what's, if Medicare is going to be there for them. They're not sure if parents are going to have anything to leave them to help support them. They're not sure if jobs are going to be there for them to support themselves. Therefore, um, right now we're in the middle of a generational shift, which I find very interesting. Baby boomers have been in charge since shortly after World War II. And right now, baby boomers are going out of command. They are, not, they are becoming less and less in charge. And you have Gen X beginning to take over. Gen Xers are cynical and practical. Then you have millennials following Gen X who are optimistic and builders. You have two wonderful young generations who are following baby boomers who want to have a say in their future. It's not my future. It's their future. And so I would look for a little bit more, um, I won't call it activism as much as I would say practical getting out the vote and going to vote for what they consider to be important. Do they consider the environment to be important or do they consider having a job? You have too many young people who are in low-level jobs who should be, be moving up the ladder to reach the height of their potential. When you talk about empowerment and reaching your potential, 
That's what these young people want. You're like a hand in a glove with the, these young generations. Hmm. Do you think that, um, so I'm just thinking about these values and their, their lifestyles, and it seems like they are more in touch with the environment. There's this emerging sense of spirituality that's very different that we're seeing played across many different cultures. And, and so, you know, they also don't strike me as one that wants to have a 50-year career in the same career and retire with the gold watch. They, they, they want to make a difference. And I would say like that's a great way to put it, in that this generation wants to do well. Don't think they don't want to do well. They want to be presidents of the United States, heads of nonprofits, senators, whatever it is they can be, they want to be that. But along the way, they have it, as I said, in their DNA. Let's help everybody rise up while I'm rising up. They are socially conscious and they expect businesses to promote the welfare of others. Uh, They expect businesses to promote the environment. They expect businesses to uh, understand what's going on around the world. Uh, I noticed a lot of upset when the little Nigerian girls were kidnapped. They They know from the internet what's going on in various countries. Now that said, they want jobs. So they want jobs and they want to be moved up quickly. So here's where it gets politically interesting in that um, they are up for grabs. I think 50% of them are not aligned with any political party. And that means that they are up for grabs because do they want a party that promotes social issues? Do they want a party that promotes jobs? Do they want a party that promotes uh, both? You know, it's trying to figure out who's going to capture the millennial vote. If there are 80 million out there, now some of them are too young to vote, but if there are 80 million out there and they decide to go to the polls, I would certainly hope that all political candidates would learn to speak millennial because to, to let them know what they're about and how they connect with their future. The whole thing is one gener- the unspoken generational contract is let's leave America a better place for the generation that follows my generation. And as I said, with baby boomers, that contract was broken. So now the two young generations, Xers and millennials, are trying to rebuild that. And one of the ways they can rebuild it is through their political power. So it's fascinating to me um, how they, they, it, they are to be taken seriously. They are not to be taken as, well, they've never voted much before, so why should we bother with them? Uh, student loans are a big deal. They don't necessarily want a handout. They want to be shown the way to get to pay them off. So this is not, uh, these are not two generations of takers. These are not two generations that want handouts. These are two generations that, of entrepreneurs who want to mean something in their lifetime. Nice. And, you know, we, we would be remiss if we didn't also just mention their buying power, because you speak a lot about that when we're literally your book is about marketing to them. But they not only have this political power that's really undefined right now, but they put their money where their mouth is. They, oh, they buy do. from conscious marketplace. Well, all you have to do is walk into, uh, you can walk into almost any store today. But the store that fascinates me is Whole Foods because Whole Foods has 
the cause uh, always, as, when you walk in, you know what they're representing at that moment, helping women around the world, saving the honeybees, providing salad bars at, at schools. Um, this is, um, these are things that, that businesses need to understand because of the buying power of millennials. 80 million people can't be wrong. The customer is always right, and every interaction with a millennial, man or woman, is critical because of their power to communicate. One bad interaction at your church, at your business, uh, anywhere at your nonprofit, is immediately, if it's great, they have been your PR people for you. If it's bad, you become a, a viral video that's not a great thing. So you have to take them very seriously because of the power of their digital world. Mm. Nice. Yes. You know, that just connection is their middle name. That's what you said. And so in all of these interactions, we need to remember that the millennials are connected and they are really, what is the good of the group? They're going to communicate that to the group. You know, it's a good place for me to talk about a new initiative that's coming down um, it's it's in its soft launch and a lot of beautiful things are happening called Good of the Whole. And this is the mentality of, it's it's a meme that's really important for all of us, not just the millennials right now. It's like when we move out of um, this illusion of separation that we've created and move back into our connectedness, good things will happen. So, wow, this has been such a fascinating conversation with you, Anne. I am really happy that we had you with us here today. Well, it's been really an honor to be on your show. And I would only want to leave your visitors with saying, go out and talk to somebody from a different generation than yours and ask them what it's, you know, about them. Because six generations, if we know each other better, we respect each other more. So thank you for the opportunity for me to talk. I really appreciate sharing information and uh, speaking with you and all of your visitors today. Mm, thank you. Well, I know many of our listeners are really going to love this and probably listen to it twice and run out and get the book. So I just want to let them know again that we are talking with Ann Fishman. And she wrote the book, Marketing to the Millennial Woman. And it is, it, it's such an easy, quick guide that gives you all of this. You're brilliant. Thank you, Anne, for sharing that. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm loving this. And boy, we've created some really nice posts to share on social media with it because there's so many nice little pieces here that are, are so important. So again, thank you. Again, you can find Anne at annefishman.com. That's A-N-N. F-I-S-H-M-A-N and Fishman.com. And um, what a treat. What a treat. Thank you so much, Anne. I appreciate that. And I know all of our listeners have learned so much today. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a pleasure. You betcha. And listeners, we'll see you right back here next week with Bruce Lipton. Bye for now. 